All right, tonight's Sheer is sponsored by Danny Hiller in memory of his great-grandfather, Mordechai David ben Yoshua Falig, who was the Gabbai to two Rebbes of the Sadigura dynasty. Very nice. Danny, thank you from afar. Sponsor, great. Fascinating class tonight. So tonight's Sheer is on the topic of tying up what we've been discussing. We've been discussing the mitzvah of Bikr Cholim. We're going to transition into Nichum Avelim, of, of uh, comforting the bereaved. But before we do so, we're going to like, follow the path of like, the process. So we discussed the mitzvah of Bikr Cholim. We mentioned there were a couple of primary components of Bikr Cholim. You certainly need to tend to the needs of the sick, make sure that they have what they need, uh, cheer them up a little bit. And then the other primary component was... Davening. You have to daven for a chola when you go to see them. Ramban said it as strong as if you go to visit a chola and do not daven for their well-being, you have not fulfilled the mitzvah of Bikr Cholam. So we discussed the concept of changing a name. We discussed the last class that we had. What about on Shabbos? Are you allowed? You do daven on Shabbos. And that's where we add Shabbos himilizok. Shabbos is really, we don't want to scream out, but we have to mention this particular chola anyway. So we discussed all of that. So tonight we'll discuss what's the limitation of davening. Let's say you go to visit somebody, and when you get there, you see their family, and their family tells you, you know, it's over, we're just waiting. We're just waiting. We all know that that's the reality of life. There's a stage of a person being, you know, ready to die, and the doctors are not treating, and we're just waiting. We're just waiting. Hospice, hospice are different stages of hospice, right? The end, but the end stage, is, is there a point in which we say, you're not allowed to daven anymore. You don't daven. You're not supposed to daven. Before, before Gosis. Before Gosis. So is, is there such a stage? Now, as we frame this discussion, I would frame it for uh, argument's sake. This is obviously a very sensitive and delicate topic in general. We're talking in theory, even though we all know it, it, it is very practical. There are two scenarios that I would paint this picture in asking the question. One is the more traditional one, the one that all of us have experienced at some time in our life, in which we go to see someone or to visit somebody, maybe somebody even in our own family, who is Kanai Nahara in their mid-90s, has lived a, a wonderful full life, and is now, body is breaking down, expiring, and their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren are surrounding the bed, and the doctors have said... You know, it, this, this, this is it. We're just, we're just basically, uh, we're basically waiting. That's one scenario. So are you allowed to daven that they should get well? Well, I've heard yeah. people actually say daven that it should, he should. Okay, so, well, yeah. Are you allowed to daven that they should be well? That's one scenario where a doctor has said, you know, it, it's, this is the end. And then scenario number B, which is a far more delicate scenario, in which we have what we would consider a human tragedy, a young person, a child, a young parent in their 20s and their 30s who had some type of terrible accident or disease, and you go to visit them, and same scenario in which the doctors have said, we're, we're terribly sorry, there's, just, there's nothing to do at this point. There's, there's nothing to do at this point. What, what? So a scenario in which there's nothing left to be done. We have cases in the where... Uh, Hold on, let me finish the question. There's, there's nothing left to be done, and uh, are you allowed to daven for a miracle? Are you allowed to daven? Like the doctors say there's nothing left to be done, but Nebuch, there's a 17-year-old child, there's a 30-year-old parent. We're not ready to say goodbye. It's not like a 95-year-old, where, which is one part of the question of, hey, maybe you're not supposed to daven anymore. We've been davening for a bubby... And now, maybe it's not appropriate. We can, is it appropriate or is it not appropriate? That's one question. But you can ask the same question where it's not the end of a long life. It's a horrible tragedy. Do we ever say, okay, but well we stopped davening. It's not appropriate anymore. You're not allowed to do so. That's the question. Are you allowed? Is there ever a point that we are not allowed to daven anymore? So let me, now I'll throw it out. 
ideas, questions, what would be the factors? I'm not asking for a final decision. We're going to see a couple of different approaches. What would be the ideas, the factors that would tell me I can, or the factors that would tell me that I can't, the factors that I should or that I shouldn't? What, what factors should we deal with in this question of, you walk into Nebuch, a horrible situation, a tragedy, a young person, and everybody has said, that in the medical world, has said it's over. There's nothing that we can do. Both, all, all. What are the reasons? Okay, the from reason, Shlomo, I was waiting. I, I didn't know how long it would take until somebody was there. The from reason is, yeah, what do you mean? There's no end to what the Rebona Shalom can do. And so why, do you, why would you ever say we're done? How could, how could you ever say that you're done? Okay, that would be, that would be argument number one why, you're, of course, you could still daven. Good, give me some reasons why then I shouldn't daven. Can you the prayer in a way when you say, <laughs> okay, that you can always do. That you can always do. That's like what Shlomo said. You know, if you, that's, that's a prayer of like, I'm not really praying for anything. I'm just praying, do what you want. Do what's good. right? Shkayak, the Rebunshim would say, thank you very much, I'll do what I want. Yes, 100%. But I'm asking, can you pray for the healing of the, of the patient at such a stage? Can you... I mean, like the, the doctors the, the, say there's still certain things we can try, but they're probably not going to work. But they may work. They signed the DNR. A lot of money. No, I'm saying you can't. You can't daven at that point. Well, well, can I daven that the person not be in a state where we need the, the, the doctors to resuscitate, but the person is healed? Yes. 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 In other words, just davening that they should be well or healthy. One of them. Can you daven for their recovery? So, what from reason is? Of course, the Baruch can do anything. Yeah. Now, so you mentioned something else. Why, why should it, what, maybe I'm just extending pain. their pain. Let's say the person is actually suffering greatly, yeah. and then my davening that they should uh, continue to live, depending on how exactly we phrase it, but there's, let's at least put that as a factor of maybe what I'm actually doing is only increasing their pain. And if the patient could speak at this point, would say to me, stop. please stop, let me go. Let me go. But you dominate yourself also, it makes you feel better that you're doing something. You okay, we'll get to that point also. There's an aspect that maybe I'm just davening for my own self. But if it is somebody's time to go, your davening won't change that. Well, do, well, don't we believe, don't we believe that there's a zardin, right? And there's such a concept of tefillah, tshuva, maviras, rogzera. There's such a concept of I could daven. I, there's such a thing, right? That's do it all the time. And as, otherwise, we wouldn't daven. If, if, it was a, if it was a concept of the Gzardin, then we would just, you know, say, well, Rabbi Shalom decided, let's go home. But we don't believe that. We believe in storming the heavens, heavens and, and making a change. Okay, other factors. Any other factors? Yes or no, why I should or shouldn't daven? Certain things like medical impossibility. Like if someone is brain dead, someone is brain dead. Yes, okay. Him, so can I daven that the Rabbi Shalom should make a miracle and make the person alive again? Brain dead is brain dead. Let's say that someone has well, contractable cancer. Well, where we've known that all of a sudden, for some God, God, God's reason, he, he, he recovers. So that's another scenario. <laughs> a person is brain dead. He, he's brain dead. Meaning, because he's already dead. Now you're now you're diving from to Tchias Okay. Okay. So then already that's already discussion of is he actually dead. Meaning that's a separate discussion. So that, that's getting into a different topic. Let's assume he's halakhically agreed upon by all as alive, but the doctors say we have nothing that we know about in medical history that could, what could, what could we do at this point? So what I want to share with you are three approaches. 
Uh, this was written up, we're going to read through some of it inside by a, uh, it's a wonderful sefer written by Rabbi Jason Wiener, um, who is a rav and a doctor in, New York, in uh, Los Angeles. Um, actually just donated his kidney uh, not long ago. And uh, it's, it's, so this is taken from, uh, from his sefers. He presents three approaches that are going to touch on all of these. And we'll see in the three different approaches, all, if not many, of the, many, if not all, of the themes that you, like, touched on. Yes, there are. Um, where are the sheets, anybody? Yeah. Okay, let's start with on page 94, if on, the, on the sheet in the English side, page 94 on the left-hand side, this is Rav Shlomo Zalman Arbach, Rav Shlomo Zalman, one of the leading authorities, uh, passed away uh, within the last, uh, I guess I lose track of time, <laughs> 10 years probably now, um, writes as follows, in the beginning, let's read a little bit inside, a very cautious approach, a ruling that prayer for an end-stage terminal patient who is suffering and for whom there is no known medical cure is forbidden. Shalom takes the approach, you are not allowed, not that it's a, a word, you are not allowed to daven when you get to the point that the doctors say, we have nothing to do. There is nothing known in the medical world for us to try or approach, it's over. You are not allowed to daven under the prohibition of praying for a miracle. We don't pray for miracles. Where do we see that we don't pray for miracles? So here is where he's going to make a very interesting uh, halachic jump. And he says, says Rav Shlomo Zalman, that there is a prohibition of what's called, there's such a concept called a tefillah shav. There's what's known as a prayer that's in vain. And we'll define it in a moment, but if we can define a prayer as a prayer in vain, tefillah shav, you're not allowed to dive in a tefillah shav. What does the Mishnah Meseches Brachos give as a couple of examples of a tefillah shav? A baby. a baby, a wife is a woman is pregnant, and uh, the new expecting father is praying and hoping he wants a bris in the worst way. He wants to be able to have a boy, and he's got dreams of whatever it is. He's got dreams of a basketball player, dreams of a Talmud Chacham, but he's got dreams of raising his son. He has a very bad shalom. He's diving like he's never diving before. Let it be a boy. So is he allowed to do that? Vicious no. says absolutely not. It's forbidden to do that. It's determined already. It's determined that the child is either going to be a girl or a boy. The child. So, so, so this is going to touch on a shear of a Miller game not so long ago about when is it considered miraculous, not miraculous, the Dina, the story of Leah and Dina. But in, um, as we understand in medical science today, from the moment of conception, it is determined what the child will be. To daven at that point for what you want it to be. It's called the tefillah shav. It's, it's determined. It's over already. Can't daven that way. Another example the mission gives, anyone remember? If, if you hear fire trucks driving by and you see there's a huge fire, plumes of smoke, and you say, please don't let it be my house. Right? It's too late. The plumes of smoke are there. The fire trucks are on the way. Someone's house is on fire. So you're not allowed to daven that it shouldn't be my house. What can you daven at that point? Let everybody be who's in danger, be saved, let the fire trucks get there on time, let they do their job. That you can daven for whoever, whoever needs the help, that the help should arrive. But to say that it shouldn't be my house, it is or it's not. And that's what's called in the mission a tefillah shove, a tefillah in vain that has, it's done, it's over, it's finished. You can't daven for something that's already happened or not happened. And therefore, therefore you're not allowed to daven such a prayer. Parenthetically, very related to our topic, but not exactly our topic. This is an amazing conversation, which is not for tonight, of 
What happens if a person is tested, let's say they're tested for cancer, there's some issue, and they're tested and you're waiting for the results to come back? What's in, the, in that in-between stage in which the test has been done, but the results have not come in? Excellent. So it is that in the, in the medical world, it's in the Petri dish. It's there. Just nobody has seen it yet. Or do we say, since... No, but it doesn't change the biology of the person. So that's the question. So in other words, how deep do we go in which it's happening? But there are a lot of different questions. Like, at what point do you still dive in for results that we don't... It's, it's, it's done. <coughs> it is or it's not. Either you have cancer, Rachman, or you don't. But, okay, I don't know, but it's known. It's, so that gets into another fascinating topic of waiting for results and things like that. But as far as our issue, so Shlomo Zalman makes the following connection. In the same way that I'm not allowed to daven a shav, if it's a meaningless, worthless prayer, because it's already happened already, he makes the following connection. Once the medical world says, there's nothing that we can do, then davening for something to happen is a tefillah in vain. That's considered davening for a miracle, and davening for, he equates, this is his jump, davening for a miracle is the same as davening for something that's already been decided. This has been decided. It's something we could do. There's nothing we can do. It can't be done. The medical world could be wrong. Oh, you're going to get to the second approach. We're not there yet. So this is Shlomo Zaman. It's a very cautious approach that once the medical world says it's over, you cannot daven. And this ruling is codified in the Shulchan Aruch. And he cites the comment of Rebbe Kiva Eger. It's in the paragraph right after that, in the middle paragraph there, the indented. Rabbi Kiva Eger writes, It is forbidden for a person to pray that Hashem should perform a miracle that includes a deviation from the natural order. Once you get into that realm where what you're asking for goes against the natural order, we don't daven for things that go against natural order. Why do we say to whom? Uh, if someone's in... Uh, <clears throat> Having a surgery. We do. They, they can be, it's not against the natural order that people are, that surgeries go well, people oh, recover. This is at the point where there's nothing to do anymore. In other words, we daven, we daven, we daven. When the, when, the, when the medical world throws up its hands and says, there's nothing for us to do anymore. There's nothing, we, there is nothing. At that point, Shlomo Zalman said, you're not allowed to daven for the recovery of a person in which you're now davening for an open miracle. He writes in the paragraph of, that starts with the word, furthermore, he says, you shouldn't go to those tefillah gatherings. When there are tefillah gatherings and it's already, it's over. Don't you shouldn't go to those tefillahs? And he writes, why not? Because it will actually lead to a weakening of faith. Because everybody's going to come and they're going to daven. And what's going to happen? Person's going to die. We know they're going to die. Because there's not, it's, it's over. Nebuch, Rahman al-Sun, something has happened. A terrible thing has happened. The person's not going to recover. And then everybody puts in all of their energy. And all, it's, it's, it's not going to happen. That doesn't strengthen emuna. It's going to weaken emuna. And therefore, that's not what a person should daven for. However, and he writes, what should one daven for? As you guys all mentioned, that it should be good for the ill person. It should be good for their family. They shouldn't suffer. Do what's right in your eyes. All of those things you're allowed to daven for. But to daven that a person who's at the end and the doctor say there's nothing to be done, that you're going to daven that they should be well, you're not allowed to do that. There's something not allowed not allowed to do so. In the bottom paragraph, you see him, he would instruct his student, thank you very much, you know, that davening is like children who ask their parents for something. So not every parent, just because a child asks, gives whatever the child wants. It's not necessarily good for the child. So we know that you're doing what's right, and we don't ask for things that we know are really not 
not paragraph. He, uh, par- possible. He concludes, very important, on the bottom of page 94, he notes that you never lose hope in the Rebona Shalom's ability to perform a miracle, but that's different than asking for it. That's a, notice that line, the tightrope that he's walking. We never, as Jews, believe that it's impossible. Nothing is impossible for the Rebona Shalom. I believe anything and everything is possible, but as far as my asking for something, we don't ask for the impossible. Don't ask for the impossible. Don't you want to be that you want to... So, there's a point. Yes, there's a point where the Hishtablis comes to an end and you accept the, the din. I can't ask for a miracle. Uh, this is one of three approaches. You don't have to, not everybody has to agree each other. I'm giving you the three approaches. Shlomo Zalman's approach is, I never lose faith in the ability of the Rebona Shalom to do a miracle, but when it requires a miracle, we don't ask for it. Don't ask for a miracle. Okay, and that's recognizing, as he summarizes, the pitfalls of false hope, protecting us from the dangers of excessive irrational optimism, you know, sometimes you come across, like, it's, 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 that's a great phrase, excessive, really irrational it. optimism. Like, we want to be optimistic, but sometimes, you know, we, life is life. Where do we learn that He's connecting it from its field of shove. But you have cases throughout Tanakh and stuff of uh, the, the um, yeah. and Elyon 100%. bringing the if, dead back. If you're a Navi, you can do different things. Yeah, 100%. Hashem said, when are you davening, go. I could argue was asking for a miracle. I, I agreed. In other words, the, there's, there's in, in, in Tanakh and miraculous events, and then you have in, in, in our Derej, he again, the Chiddush that he's doing is connecting a tefillah shav, like, a, like we're going to get there in a minute, like a woman who's pregnant, you cannot daven that it should be, it's, it's done, this is done. Now, obviously it's not, that's his connection, that even though it's, it's not really, the person's still here, but it's like as if it's done, and you, and you cannot daven. That's approach number one. Why? No, that's not a change in the natural order of the world. It's already been decided. I know, but now you're talking about discovery. You know, you're not changing the natural order of the world. That's you're talking the back and the back scenes and the back. You know, no, but it's already it's, it's already decided. It's already done. It's not decided. It's not already. The people can you can steal zivug. That's why we say makdimin, right? In other words, why is it that you're allowed to get engaged right before tishabah? Why are you like because we're afraid something shami yikan menuacher? What is it shami yikan menuacher? It's because it doesn't. You know, it doesn't quite work that way. Okay, approach number two: stipulgon. The stipulgon takes the total opposite approach, going to the other extreme, and this is the approach what we will call the from approach of the rebbeinu if there. It, it, it can do anything. And we believe he can do it. And Shalom Zabin again also said, you always believe Hashem can do anything, you just don't ask for it. Saipul Gon says, yeah, yes, we do. We are ma'aminim b'nei ma'aminim. We believe, we've seen miracles, we go through Tanakh, we know the stories, and a Jew, till the very last moment, asks and asks and begs and pleads. Let's look a little bit inside. So on page 95, Yaakov Yishol Kanoyevsky was known as the Saipul Gon. Right? They very different approach. And uh, see, he argues it's a mistake to ever lose hope in the value of prayer, even if it's a desperately ill patient who has no chance of recovery according to the laws of nature. And he gives five reasons why we continue to daven for someone for whom it seems 
Tefillah has no, it's over. But we still do it. And he gives five reasons. Reason number one. First, even if the patient's not cured, it's possible that the suffering will be slightly diminished as a result of our prayers. We don't know exactly what the efficacy of our, we don't know what happened. Maybe the fact that we're davening, yes, the person died. So you say it didn't work? What do you mean it didn't work? The, the person was alleviated a little bit from his pain because of all of our tefillah. Number two, maybe the person will live a little bit longer. We have a value. Every single moment of life is valuable. So you want to say, in the big picture, it didn't work. The person died. Well, yeah, but maybe without your tefillahs, he would have died 15 minutes earlier. But your tefillahs worked because the whole community, the whole family, uh, you know, Davin, then Davin, then Rosh said, I'll give him 15 more minutes. Every moment of life is valuable. Who knows? You knew, you know, says the stipler going, when he was supposed to die, and that, yes, in the end he died. But you don't know that maybe his pain was alleviated a little bit. You don't know that maybe he was able to live a little bit longer. Number three, he writes, the Gemara says, Afil cheref mutal al tzavarav, when the, the, the sword is literally on your neck, and they're about to press down. Gemara says, you never despair of Hashem's mercy. You never despair. And we have plenty of stories from the Holocaust, Rahman, all the words of other person who's mamish about to die, and, you know, the gun jam. Like, you, you never give up. But that depends on somebody else. Here, um, Same. here's HaKadosh Baruch who's involved. Okay. And here's... Whatever, yeah, yeah. So he's bringing it, but you, we never... The Rabbanu can always change course. We never... That's number three. So, um, all the story. Number four... All of the tefillahs will be a source of merit for the person, even if nothing changes, even if he doesn't live an extra minute, even if he gets no amelioration from, uh, from his pain and suffering. But the bottom line is, a whole community, a whole family, davened for this person, that's going to stand in his stead when he goes up to Shemaim after whatever the time is. He's got to look, look at what happened in this world because of How could you take that away from this person that all of these tefillahs should be said, all of these heartfelt prayers? How could you take that away from such a person, says Rukhaim Konevsky? And number five, finally, that, um, and this is a very um, like Hasidish, a Kabbalistic approach, not that he was a Hasid, um, that prayers can be recovery to other individuals. We don't know the power of tefillah. We don't understand, you get a whole community together davening, and they think they're davening for this fellow. No, this fellow, it's lost. It's a lost cause. He's nebuch, he's not well, and he's not going to get well. But you know what? Those tefillah stormed the heavens, and we don't know what goes on up in Shemayim when the, when the heavens are stormed by tefillahs, this person was a lost cause. There's nothing, to feel, there's nothing we could have done. But all of those tefillahs had a tremendous impact on, on this person, or on that person, or on the community as a whole. So Reb Chaim writes, to, to, to say that we don't daven, to say that it's over, to say that we don't ask for miracles, a Jew never stops, never despairs, because we don't know. We don't know. We don't know if it's going to ameliorate some of the pain. We don't know if he's going to give him a few extra moments. We don't know if it's going to be a meritim as chus and shamayim. We don't know. We don't know. And therefore, therefore, we continue uh, to daven. He brings a proof, uh, Rabbi Wiener, in writing his Sefer, his book, that the Gemara says, as we've seen, you know, when you, when you have somebody sick in your home, you go to the Chacham and let him, uh, let him daven for you. And... Um, what about, he asks the question, what about Rav Shlomo Zalman's problem, which seems like you don't daven for miracles? There's a limit. We don't ask for the change of the natural course. So Chazanish, his, his brother-in-law, Rav Chaim brother-in-law, Chazanish said, you know, doctors have never been wrong before. 
Like what uh, David said, just because the doctors say there's nothing we can do, so that means there's nothing that can be done? Okay, 90% of the chance. The doctors, there's, listen, not to disparage against the, the, the doctors, no, 90%, 95%, 98% of the time when the doctors say there's nothing to be done, there's not <laughs> nothing to be done. But that means that they're, they're never wrong? There's, there's never such a thing of uh, right now there's nothing and then tomorrow we develop a new technique or the, they made a mistake. They made a mistake. It happens all the time, right? So, so Chazanish says in, in response to this approach, Ah, Shlomo was very afraid of a loss of Amuna. He was afraid of a weakening. Like at a certain point you just say, we don't dive in anymore. And Rechaim Kanyevsky and the Chazanish said, absolutely not. We daven, and we daven, and we always daven. And, and maybe the doctors are wrong. Yeah, what do you say? This, this, this says wrong. It says we're not, thus not praying for a miracle, but simply that the doctors are wrong. No, it's not that we're praying that the doctors are wrong. We're praying because the doctors could perhaps be wrong. Okay, I don't. I can't this say, is oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't see the exact language of the Chazanish, but I see the way that he's writing it here. I, I, I hear what you're saying, but no, but but the idea being the idea that it's because there's no such thing as there's no there's no such thing as there's no hope. That's not a Jewish. That's not a Jewish approach. He would say against the Shlomo Zaman, like it, it could be doctors make mistakes. They they didn't realize the reports came back wrong, or or they actually were right in that they thought there was nothing to be done, and something happened anyway. Even when they said there's nothing to be done, one has to realize also that if there's a, a treatment that's being undergone, and the usual bell-shaped majority of the curve, you see a response say in seven days, and maybe this particular person could take eleven or twelve days. You don't uh, you don't know that. That's Correct. So we just we just exactly. And it's, the bottom line is we just don't know. We just don't know. Even when they say there's nothing that we can meet. So those are the, those are the two approaches. Rav Shlomo Zalman was a very practical, cautious approach of, yes, there's a point in time where we do not and you should not daven for a recovery. You could daven that things should be well, that they should be comfortable, but you cannot daven for a recovery. And the Chazanish, uh, Rechaim Kanievsky, saying never. We always, till the very last moment, we always daven. So I had a case once where somebody actually came out Told everybody to stop dominating for their life because she's suffering and not. Next case, we're not we're not there yet. We're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. That's the that's the back half of the conversation of can you actually daven that somebody should die? We're gonna get there. We're gonna get one more approach before we get there. That's the rub. Rosalovechik has a, a fascinating uh, different perspective um, in the middle of these two approaches. And uh, one word of introduction, and he says this whole concept says the rub. This whole dialogue is missing. What the essence of tefillah is. This whole conversation about whether or not you say, I'm asking for a miracle and I shouldn't be asking for a miracle. Or whether or not we say, I always believe, I never lose my faith. Rav says, but you're missing what is tefillah all about. And tefillah is all about the connection and relationship between a Jew and the Rebona Shalom. What will happen because of your tefillah is a nice discussion, who knows, but you can't lose sight of why we daven in the first place, which is to strengthen that dynamic. And since that's what we're really after, so then, yeah, of course, a person should always be davening. Look at his, uh, in his language on the bottom of page 96. When a man is in need and prays, Hashem listens. 
one of the Yud Gimel attributes, the, the, uh, one of the attributes, not one of the Yud Gimel, is a Shomea Tefillah. Hashem listens to our prayers. Let us note, the Rav writes, Hashem never promised that He will accept our prayers. And the efficacy of prayers is not the term of inquiry of our Avodah Shebelev. The acceptance is a hope or a vision, a wish, but not a principle, meaning the foundation of prayer is not the conviction of its effect. We don't doubt it because we believe it's going to be effective, but the belief that through it, why do we daven? We hope he'll listen, not we hope that he'll accept. We know he'll listen, but that through our tefillah, we approach Hashem intimately, and then the miraculous community embracing finite man and his creator is born. This idea of this union and his language is very flowery. Of course, the basic function of prayer is not its practical consequences, but the metaphysical formation of a fellowship or relationship between man and God. That's what it's about. And since the purpose of the prayer is the relationship, so then how could you ever say not, what do you mean not to daven? Of course you daven, because it's all about me asking, me being in communication. One night, just to summarize it, in the top of page 97, in the Sun Raisin, we have assurances that Hashem is indeed a Shomea Tzvila. We know that. We believe it. He's a Shomea, one who hears, but not necessarily that he's a Mechabel Tzvila, one who accepts our prayers and accedes to our specific request. It is, pers- it is our persistent hope that our request will be fulfilled, but it is not the primary motivation. We don't daven because we want him to listen to what we do, what we want him to do. We don't seek a response as much as we desire a fellowship, a communication. And therefore, therefore, you always daven. Now he's like, not as much of the words that you're asking for, but the concept that a Jew is in pain. What does a Jew do when he's in pain? He davens. He, he says, I need, I need help. I'm suffering. My loved one is suffering. Do I believe that I'm, you're going to answer and change? the? Maybe not. But that doesn't change the fact that what I do when I'm in this stage is I call out. And therefore the Rav would say, should you daven at a stage when it's end stage and the doctors say there's nothing left to do? The answer is yes, because I believe you're going to change things. You know, may not be relevant. But a Jew davens. That's what a Jew that's what a Jew does and always does. So that we, with, with the recognition of, we don't ask for miracles, but I'm, I'm not davening because I want you to do what I want. I'm davening because that's how I connect. And when I'm in pain and suffering, that's what a Jew, that's what a Jew uh, does. I, I gave you the whole thing. You can take a little bit. Uh, he goes through a whole Rambam, which is, of course, where the Rav gets his ideas. And therefore, one recognizing, um, in, in effect, the way that our uh, Wiener sets it up, if you were in, if you were the Rav, and you come into a room, and Nebuch, there's a young, a young adult, 17, 30, young parent, whatever the case may be, and the parents are like, we, you know, can, should I daven? So, so Rav Shlomo Zalman would say, maybe it's not time, I don't want to give you the hope that you should daven for a recovery, you could daven that things should be comfortable or well, but you, it's... Shouldn't daven at a certain point. Whereas the disciples go and the Chazir say, always, daven for a miracle. And the Rav would say, yes, you should daven, because that's the response that a Jew, that's, that's the expression that we have. What should you daven for? So, you know, you got to balance being practical, being realistic, being a, a hope on a prayer that a miracle can happen, 
But it's, it's about the tefillah. Never give up on the opportunity to cry out because that's the value of what the tefillah, what the tefillah really is. Very interesting. Much more to say. I gave you, you can look it inside and read it through um, if you're interested. Very last, the last couple of minutes, let's just finish up. So what about, what about on the other extreme? Come into a situation, Ebuch, and a patient is suffering terribly and they're done and they're finished and they're begging you, please let me leave, let me go. Uh, is it allowed to daven for a person to die? So we were just discussing, am I allowed to die? When is there, is there a limitation that he should live? It's maybe yes, maybe no. Is there ever such a term, a concept, a time, where a person can actually daven and a person should die? Are you allowed to do so? So as somebody mentioned, there's a Gemara that's the source of this discussion. The Gemara you have on the back, your last sheet. Just copied it with the English translation. We'll read it through together on the top of the page. Discussing when Rebbe, Rebbe Huda Nasi, the author who uh, put together the Mishnah as we have it, uh, leader of the Jewish people, was on his deathbed. So the Gemara has a number of stories from this uh, final day of uh, Rebbe's death. And one on the top of the left column on Kuf Dalet Amun Aleph is Ahu uh, Rebbe. On that day, the Rebbe died. Gozu Rabbonon Tanisa. So they made a fast, as we have this coming Monday. There's a fast day. And they begged for Hashem's mercy. And they said, Anyone who dares even say the word that Rebbe has died, will pierce him with the sword. The Gemara discusses the Mepharshim, like, why they even, like, you weren't even allowed to say the words that Rebbe is going to die. They were davening and fasting that he should live. So the maidservant, the Amte of Rebbe, who was quoted very often in the Gemara as quite a knowledgeable woman, went up to the roof, and said the following tefillah, Elyonim evakshim is Rebbe. The upper worlds, they want Rebbe. They're, look, he's sick, he's on his deathbed, he's about to finish in this world, because they want him up in Shemaim. V'tachtonim evakshim is Rebbe. But the ones down here, the people, the Jews down here, they also want Rebbe. So there's a tug of war, in Shemaim they're trying to bring him up, and down here they're trying to hold him down. So she said, May it be your will that we win down here. That we keep Rebbe with us. We're not ready to part with him. We still need him. So even though the Elyonim, the Malachim, are trying to pull Rebbe up, she davened that those down here should win in their tefillah and keep Rebbe here. Then the Gemara says an amazing thing. But this maidservant, she was the one, she was the primary caretaker of Rebbe. And she saw how many times he had to go to the bathroom. He was suffering terribly from a stomach ailment. And he was constantly shuttling back and forth to the bathroom. But he wasn't young where it was a shuttling. Everything was a very difficult and laborious process. And he was wearing his tefillin all day long. Rebbe used to wear his tefillin. But if you have a stomach ailment... He had to take them off and put them on. And the whole experience, and she would see him suffering terribly back to the bathroom and then clean and then the tefillah, the whole thing. She saw what a tsar, how, 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 how deeply he was suffering in his situation. She changed her tefillah. Umra, now she said, so may it be your will, that the up the malachim who want Rebbe should win over from the ones down here or try to keep him. In essence, davening that, that he should die. <laughs> Meanwhile, she's davening that he should die, but all the Rabbanim are davening that he should live. 
So Shakla Kuza, she took a, a vessel, a vase, and Shadya Me'igra La'ara. So she threw it from the roof down to where everybody was davening in the streets. So what happened when the vase crashes on the street? Everybody's like, well, what was that? Everybody stops to see, like, are we okay? What happened? In the moment that everybody stopped their tefillah, Noch Nachshei the Rebbe. Rebbe died. So the Gemara goes on, they went to see him, they, they figured out that he had died. Okay, so you have such a mice, a story in the Gemara of the maidservant of Rebbe davening that he should die, and then it seemed that she then took matters into her own hands, she, she throws down a vase, she distracts all of the Chachamim from davening, and he indeed dies. Okay, well, what do we derive from such a Gemara? What, is, well, what does the story tell us? She was not ashamed. Was she really davening from to die, or she just was preventing people? Well, well, two things. First, she actually says, may the Elyonim win. So that's the tefillah that he should die. Then she takes matters into her own hands to help tilt the scales by, by distracting the Rabbanim. So from her, what do you, what do you see from the maidservant of Rebbe? You can. What's the big question we would then have on such a Gemara? Do we learn halacha from the maidservant of Rebbe? Meaning, in other words, this is not like, Amar Abaye. The Gemara says that Abaye teaches that you're... No, 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 that's not how the Gemara presents. The Gemara told us a story. The Gemara told us a story of the... Of the you can. It just tells us... Tells a story. Tells us a story. So do we derive a halacha that I'm allowed to daven from such a story that's not instead as a Tanya we learned in the Brisa in the name of Rebbe Shimon. We learned from an Amora. We have a story, a Maisa Shahaya. A Maisa Shahaya. Oh, okay, good, good, good. She comes into play a lot. Yes, he has a lot of teachings, the, the, uh, the maid servants of Rebbe. He's quoted numerous times. So, Moshe Feinstein, bring, yeah, what other? Can you also, from her, at least you learn, I think, that, uh, you have to be practical. Like, you probably didn't know Rebbe's full situation. Excellent. So, in other words, you're pointing out, well, is pointing out very beautifully is that the person who davens for him to die, the Chachamim just see Rebbe, Rebbeinu HaKadosh. How could we lose Rebbe? They don't see him in the bathroom. They don't have to take him and clean him and deal with the pain. But she who sees that says, this is a terrible situation. So Dr. Moshe Feinstein, it's on uh, source number 20, on the page right before the one that you were just looking at. Ramesha Feinstein, he's quoting really from Iran in the Nidarim as well. The first half, before the underline, is, he just is quoting the Gemara. Then from the underlined in source number 20, Nakatzea Gemara. Why is this Gemara here? It's a story. Do we learn from a story? So Ramesha says, well, why did the Gemara include a story if it's not to teach us something? La'ashmeina, this Gemara is coming to teach us. She'ika pa'amim. There are times. She'tzarech palel. Amazing language. He doesn't say it's allowed, that you must. It's appropriate to daven for a, you must daven for a person who's in great pain. Also, and nothing is helping to heal him. And the davening is not being accepted. Again, he uses the language of sorry that you have to die that he should die. Let me just finish. Hold on. He amted the Rebbe because the maidservant of Rebbe Chachma Haisa. She was a wise woman. Bedini Hatora. How you lemaidin mimena Rabbanu lefamim. We find other instances in Shas where we quote her and we learn from here. 
and check out the Rav in the Dharam who says a similar idea. Amazing concept that there is not only do we see that Rabbi Shlomo Zalman says there's a time when you can't daven for a person to live because it's beyond, you're not allowed. And that's argued again, and again, the, the stifler gun, or Chazanish would say, you always daven, or Rav would say, depending on what you daven, but the idea of davening, always you have to daven. And then there's a concept of davening that a person should leave this world. There's a concept of a person in so much pain, who is suffering greatly, and there's nothing to be done for them. Are you still davening according to the Rav? You're davening just... You are davening. Right. Morty, in the bomb shelters on Simcha's Torah, when they threw grenades in, and a guy's in the bottom of the pile, and he sees his friend with body parts blown off, Morning. A graphic description of uh, <laughs> such a scenario. Um, These are things we're seeing every day in the, the, the first Yeah, but uh, even in, in, in a hospital setting or other settings where a person is terribly, suffering terribly and, uh, and begging a person, like, please, like, I don't want to live. There's, such a, there's a time and a place, again, I'm not possibly now when that is. Like, how much pain is pain? That's a, that's a difficult and delicate scenario to actually come to that conclusion. But conceptually, conceptually, the idea that a person is allowed to daven for a person to die, don't we value life? Yes, we do. Don't we value every moment? Yes, we do. But there's a, there's a conceptual point in time where a person's suffering can get to the point where we are allowed to daven for their demise to put them out of the suffering. Yeah. You're actually planning for a refuah, you know. To a degree. That's it. And we're looking at, like, um, that's the it's type of refuah is... It's a different refuah. <clears throat> but is it only if a person on his deathbed, or somebody has dementia beyond the thing? Again, the, that you're asking that... things that you say, they're never cured. 100%. So here, what you clearly need, at least from this Gemara, is a great amount of tsar. So many patients who have uh, dementia or Alzheimer's... They're not suffering, Sorry, the family. right? The family is suffering. That's a totally different question of where we're suffering watching this, but the person to our best understanding, person is not suffering. So that would be a different, different kind of scenario. It's clear in the Gemara what would precipitate the permission to ask of such a thing would be that the patient is suffering terribly. What's of note also, just basing it on the Gemara, what's Rebbe's stance in all of this? Does Rebbe want to be healed or does he want to leave this world? He's not an entity. He's a non-entity, exactly. Fascinating. In other words, the scenario that I keep mentioning just off the, hand, off the cuff is where the patient is like in so much pain and saying like, please leave me alone, I don't want to live. But that's not the Gemara scenario. The Gemara scenario is where Rebbe is a non-entity. We don't know what he's thinking. <coughs> he's, he's not referenced in that other than the Rabbanim want him to live. His, his maidservant sees how much pain he's in and doesn't. And, and Ramesha says, you learn from here that sometimes you're allowed to daven for a person. Clearly, it's, he's at the end. Clearly, the Rabbanon saw that he was at the end of life. Clearly, that was where he was up to. But we don't actually know whether or not, if, you, if we would have asked Rebbe, do you want to go on or do you want to give in and just leave this world? Mar doesn't tell us what Rebbe's thinking. But from that, the Ran and Ramesha, as we saw, do derive that there is a time and a place where it is okay to ask. When that time and place, again, ask your local Orthodox rabbi, and I hope whoever that will be will be far more learned than the one you're looking at right now, so to figure that out, when and how to apply this. Rebbe couldn't him because he was in the Correct. He certainly could not pass in that Shiloh. Yes, that seems very much the thing. But, uh, but a fascinating discussion on, A, 
do we ever stop davening the three opinions that we learned? And then is there a time to daven that a person should die? And the answer is yes, there is indeed such a time uh, where that comes. We shouldn't know from any of these things that this, all of our learning, as we mentioned in the very first class, should be a schus. And the schus of learning about these issues that we shouldn't have to deal with them and should be granted. Arichas yamim in good health. Um, in good health. A cholent is probably not helpful to continuing the good health of uh, all those who eat it, but it does taste good. So uh, we will continue eating it. Okay, have a great night, everyone.